morning, good morning. Oh, what is this? Is this a whiteboard I see? My goodness gracious. What is going to be happening today? All right, here we go. Shark drawings, we'll see. We'll see how the spirit leads. Those of you who don't know, I can only draw two things, a shark and uh, one of the ships from Battlestar Galactica, and they both look about the same. So uh, let's see. So boy, last week we finished up our series on terms of the blood covenant. Hope you guys enjoyed that and hope you uh, see Jesus more clearly and what he paid for. And uh, so yeah, last week we had our Christmas miracle. We did service in 60 minutes. You guys remember that? And so today is uh, uh, the day before New Year's, and so today's service is going to go right up until the ball drops. So it's going to be great. We're going to make up for it. So it's going to be good. All right. Some of you are nervous. All right. So uh, let's talk about church for a second. Um, here, here's, here's something I want to talk to you about. If the way that we've been doing church in America for the last 200, 300 years has been pretty much the same, if the way we were going to do it was going to change cities and nations, I think it would have done it by now. What if it's time to reimagine how we do and how we be the church? All right, so um, in the 1800s, the largest and most profitable businesses were the railroad businesses. And so they were, they, were, they were larger. They were just continually expanding. Then came the invention of the airplane. And so the railroad business owners, they just doubled down, and they made more and more railroads. They went after it, and they went after it. And within a few decades of the invention of the airplane, none of those big businesses survived. Do you want to know why? Because they forgot what business they were in. They were in the transportation business. If they would have recognized this innovation, they would have adopted some new technology. They would have started some new things. They would have continued, uh, continued performing that way. I believe the church is in danger of forgetting what business we're in. So many people are focused on how to do church better. Uh, we're not in the business of doing church. Jesus did not die so that you could come on Sunday morning and hear a sermon and worship and go home. Yes. We're not trying to do church better. <clears throat> the church is in the business of transforming lives who transform cities and influence nations. God actually wants his planet back. Yes. Yes. All right, well, we'll see how this goes. There's a prophet named Graham Cook who was here a number of years ago, and he said that our church was to be a prototype church. And so I want to kind of spell that out a little bit. The difference between a stereotype church and a prototype church, I'm not putting down the stereotype church. I just think you'll recognize that it's pretty common, and I'm trying to differentiate. We're trying to do things better, and we're getting more intentional about it in 2024. You guys doing okay? Yeah. All right, I don't know if we got these uh, up here. The difference between stereotype and prototype, I gave them to you a little bit late. Do we have those? I'm going to read them to you if not. Okay, you guys ready? Stereotype church gathers around sermons. Prototype church gathers around, his gathers around his presence. Stereotype church, concerned about getting out on time. Prototype church, concerned about the Spirit's agenda. Stereotype church, worship is a warm-up for the sermon. Prototype church, worship is a lifestyle unto him. Prototype, or stereotype church, the focus is on gather, keep, and care. Prototype church, train, equip, and send them into their sphere of influence. Stereotype church, come and see. Prototype church, go and show. Stereotype church, the goal is to build a big church. Prototype church, the goal is to build a big people. Stereotype church, want, this is getting harder. Stereotype church, want a move of God. Prototype church, want to translate a move of God into the family, business, arts and entertainment, media, government, education, medicine, and beyond. It's not enough to just have church services and have revival. We need to take that revival into the spheres of society. Stereotype church, want to get people to come and stay. Prototype church, want God to come and stay. Stereotype church, doctrine. Prototype church, culture. Culture is like a 
like a greenhouse in which people get developed. Doctrine, if you uh, don't let it penetrate your heart, and it just actually make you more like a Pharisee. Stereotype church. <laughs> teach principles to live by. Prototype church. Teach presence to do life with. Yes. Principles without the prince is more like witchcraft than kingdom. How we doing? Stereotype church. Safety and comfort. Prototype church. Risk and faith. Stereotype church makes you tame. Prototype church makes you dangerous. Stereotype church, security in the familiar and predictable. Prototype church, no other security except God himself. Stereotype church, develop better programs. (laughs) Prototype church, develop better people. Stereotype church, tie 10% because you're supposed to. Prototype church, give cheerfully because you love God and love people. Again, I'm not trying to put down other churches. I'm just trying to clearly make a mark. If you, uh, if you came here for a stereotype church, um, God bless you. <laughs> you're either going to have to change your expectations or you're going to have to find a new place. Yeah. I'm just trying, I'm, 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 today I'm going to try to make this sound as clear as possible. So if it rings true to you, you'll know why you're here. All right, so, oh boy, what, what is this over here? Is this a marker here I see? Okay, and it's stuck in there. Oh, there we go. So just so you know, uh, my handwriting is not the best. I remember in second grade, they sent me to special handwriting classes because it was so bad, and you'll see it didn't work. Okay. <laughs> so there's an old way, of, uh, an old model of doing church. And the old model of doing church is trying to get people to come to church. Here's a news flash: They aren't coming. There's not enough uh, square footage in churches in Columbus, Ohio, that if like 15% of the people in the city tried to show up, they'd even be able to go. It's, uh, they're supposed to put it up on the screen. Tim? They're trying to get people to come to church. I think that was Tim who said that. I remember uh, my wife and I were on vacation a little while back, and uh, it was a Sunday morning, and uh, we were out, we weren't at church, and we were, there it is, yay that I say unto thee. We were, uh, we were at a restaurant on, on Sunday morning, and we we're looking around, and we noticed the people who were there, they're not feeling guilty about not going to church. They actually looked like they were having a really good time on vacation and eating breakfast together, okay? <laughs> Guys, in America, Sunday has become about football and about children's sporting events, not about church anymore. Okay, and so this whole idea of of them coming to church, they ain't coming. It's not even on the radar. Here's a new model. I'm sure you can see where this is going. We bring the church to them. The church is not a person, place, or thing. A person. I go to Rod Parsi's church. I go to Joe Olstein's church. I go to. It's not a person. It's not a place. Uh, we, we go to Zion. Where do you go to church? It's not, it's not a thing. We had church today. Uh, the church is the plural of Christ followers. You are the church. Church is something who you are, and you bring it into every sphere. So we, uh, earlier, people were talking about salt and light. That's, the very, that's not something you're trying to become. When you got saved, this is the very nature of who you are. And we get to be strong salt and bright light. Any gospel that doesn't work in the marketplace doesn't work. It ain't the gospel. If it only works in church, it's not the gospel. So we've got to change from trying to get people into heaven to trying to get heaven into people. Okay, Sundays, uh, uh, see the church here, 
the, the prototype church, Zion, we're the opposite of the NFL. The NFL practices all week to play on Sunday. We practice on Sunday to play all week. We're a terrorist training camp to destroy the works of the devil. In case you guys didn't realize, we're on offense. I remember uh, when I was in second grade, I started playing basketball. I probably peaked right about then. And um, I, I, just, I, could, I didn't understand the t- difference between offense and defense. I didn't grow up watching sports, and so I just, I just got kind of confused. But, um, and so, but how they would do it in second grade in the YMCA is they would pair you up by height. And so it's like, okay, you're going to guard you. You know, the, the, obviously the, the team had different color shirts on, so it's like, hey, you, you're going to guard you, you're going to guard you. And so as soon as they assigned me to someone, this is no lie, I don't know what I was thinking, I just was all over this person. Like, uh, like, like just in them, like, like in a gnat. Like in timeouts, I'm over there, the coach is like pulling me off of them. Like we're like, like lining up for a free throws, I'm all over the person. Like when we had the ball, I'm over. You can see this poor kid, he's just so frustrated. He, like, there's nothing he can do. Like our team has the ball, and I'm all over him like this. The church doesn't realize that when we've got the ball, we're on offense. We've got the ball. We're not on defense. It's getting darker and darker. Yeah, light always shines the best in the darkness. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. A lot of people have this picture of this gate of hell, and it's smashing the church, and somehow we're going to be able to stand up strong. No, a gate is a defensive position. It's saying the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, meaning there's no place that the gospel will not penetrate, bring light and love. So every person who's looking for a church, they come with two questions. They may not actually ask these out loud or even consciously, but here's the questions that you're asking. What are you building, and how can I come into my destiny if if I help you build what you're building? Okay, so let's answer those the rest of the day today. What are you building? Um... Uh, We have a 30-year dream here at Zion, and that's presenting entire cities and nations to Jesus. It's it's actually doable. In Psalm 2, uh, verses 7 and 8, this is is a conversation between the Father and the Son. God the Father, God the Son. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. When he, said something, when, when he said to his son, ask of me and, uh, and I will make the nations your inheritance, he's looking for a people who will take up the call to not just do church, not just survive, not just have written on your gravestone, and she paid her bills. God wants his planet back. He's looking for people to partner with Jesus and accept this invitation. So our strategy to do this, uh, this may be new, uh, new language to you if you're newer here, is to build an apostolic resource center. It's just cool that it's an ARC. We're building an ARC, okay, A-R-C. It's just, that's a good acronym there. Uh, I, I, this, uh, this is that prototype church. This is the way we feel called to be church. We're transformed people, transformed cities. And we believe the light that shines farthest burns the brightest at home. Okay, so we've got to build people here. So when you hear the word apostle or apostolic, here's what we mean by that. The word apostle actually wasn't like a, uh, a, a Bible word. It was a word in the Roman culture, and when, uh, remember uh, Caesar, remember the guy who was conquering the whole planet? He had these naval emissaries, and when he would send them out, uh, and they would conquer a land, he would send out what he called his apostles, and they were to go, and they were to make the culture of Rome, uh, like, they were to take the culture of Rome and put that into this new place, so that when the king came to visit, he would feel at home. Jesus said, you are my apostles. You're to make it on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus comes, it will feel like home. That's what it means to be apostolic, is on earth as it is in heaven. Guys, there's no sickness in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. There's no loneliness in heaven. There's no unwanted children in heaven. 
And so we're to take the reality of heaven and invade this world with it. We're on offense. We've got the ball. The church is a gathering of an apostolic family. Okay? Let me make this real simple today, hopefully. I didn't plan on writing this part out, so this is a little stall time. Okay, did I just tilt it the wrong way? Are we okay? An apostolic resource center, three things are going to happen. It's a place where you can encounter God. I told you my handwriting's bad. Encounter God. Thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> Become part of a family. And get equipped to transform your sphere of influence. So let's talk about these three things. You guys doing good? You see where we're going? What are we building? We're building an apostolic resource center. What's an apostolic resource center? It's a place where you encounter God, become part of a family, and get equipped. So let's talk about that. A place where you encounter God. And so we are an encounter-driven church. So some people get offended by that. They're like, are you talking about you want people to have subjective experiences? Yes, the more subjective, the better. Any truth that does not experience becomes more like a theory or a hypothesis than a truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The demons know about truth. The word know there means to know by experience. It's the tr only the truth that's experienced that sets you free. So Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. What was it? Was it Peter's confession? Uh, a lot of people say it's that. A lot of people say, well, Peter was the first pope. He's building it on Peter. Eh. Well, what actually happened there? Peter had a revelation. He had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. He says, you are, you are the Christ. Remember Jesus saying, who, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, oh, you were the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not uh, reveal this to you. But this is revealed to you by my spirit. And on this rock I will build. What was the rock? Having an encounter with the Holy Spirit that reveals you who Jesus is. That's what the church is built on. It's not built on sermons that you hear and you agree and you go home and you forget about them. It's built on you having a relationship, a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because God loved you so much, he sent the Holy Spirit into your life to personally mentor you into your destiny. We said a whole message on this two weeks ago that part of the new covenant is each person gets to know the Lord themselves by experience. He will teach you himself what he is like. Every believer who has ever shaped history had one thing in common. They had a lifestyle of encounters with the living God. I remember we had um, a young man here and his mom, um, she, she was thrown off of her horse. She had, I believe, 12 fractures in her back. It may have been more than that. I'll go conservative. 12 fractures in her back. She was in pain. And he said, Mom, if you'll come to Zion this Sunday, you'll get healed. She drove 45 minutes. She um, cried in pain. I don't know if she was sobbing, but we just, the report was that she was crying the whole ride here. And as soon as she pulled on the property, snap, crackle, pop, all the fractures were healed, and she was completely pain-free. Well, I'd like to see some more of that. I remember we had a, a man, he sat over there, and there was a guy who brought him from our church, and he had a shoulder injury, and his son loved to throw the football with him. He had a little boy, and he hadn't been able to do it because of his shoulder. And as he's worshiping, he didn't even really have that great of a relationship with God. He's what we would probably call backslidden. But how many of you guys know God loves backslidden people? He loves all people, okay? <laughs> but backslidden part of that category. And he's in there, and he just feels something in his heart, like you're healed. Stretch out your hand. Like people are worshiping, they're raising their hands, so it probably wouldn't look too weird for him. And so he lifts up his hand, and he's completely healed in the worship service, goes home, throws the football with the son. We've actually had, we had a, a woman healed of cancer, looking at a painting on the stage. How many of you guys know this isn't just like art? 
This is prophetic art, which means that you're seeing something in the invisible realm and releasing it in this realm. And when you look at that by faith, you have the encounter with the original intent of heaven. And this person looked at it and was healed of brain cancer while looking at a painting. What are we talking about? We're talking about having an encounter-driven church. The, the, the world does not need a better argument for Christianity. They need to see the raw power of God demonstrated right in front of their face. It's interesting when Elisha, uh, he got the mantle from Elijah, he rolled up his cloak and said, where is the God of Elijah? I believe that God is saying, where are the Elijahs of God? Where are the people willing to confront the prophets of Baal? with bold demonstrations of power. That's what we're looking to raise up here. Where the presence of God is, is so real among us, in our homes, at our kitchen tables, at our soccer games, in our church services, that sickness just leaves people's body when they get in our midst. There's a lot of ways to, to encounter God, personally, through his voice, through his word. And uh, one of the ways that we really uh, emphasize here is, is through our, our worship services. I believe our worship services are to pour salt on your tongue to make you thirsty for the things of God. It's to create an environment where it's easy to experience God. <clears throat> and so our only agenda is to find out what he wants to do. And so uh, we know what's on God's heart. So he loves worship. So we structure our Sunday services. We include worship. Uh, the word of God is important. We always plan on teaching. Uh, God has a heart to minister to people. We always plan on ministering to people. We follow those plans until he interrupts, and we love the days he interrupts. Sometimes God gives pronounced direction. In uh, Luke 5, 17, it says, The power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. Listen, God's presence was always there. Okay, we, we know God is everywhere. But there was something that he was highlighting in this instance where he wanted to heal the sick. So you'll see times on Sundays where God will redirect it, and we may end up prophesying and, and ministering to people for 25, 30 minutes. Sometimes we've had the services where we didn't get to preach, where the Holy Spirit just took over. It hasn't been super messy here in a while, but I'm just giving you a warning. I think it's going to get messy again. And I'm not saying messy is necessarily more spiritual than anything else. I'm just saying it's all him, and we're going to be following him. And so if you don't like a mess, wear boots. It's always a mixture of flesh and, and spirit. We're just doing our best to get it right. So, Freedom is a really big deal. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Uh, Brian Simmons' translation, the Passion Translation, says, where the Lord is spirit. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Where the spirit is Lord. Did I say it right? Yeah. Where the spirit is Lord, there is freedom. That's how, that's how it is. And so um, a lot of people are looking for a church that's neat and tidy and predictable. I'll tell you an environment that's neat and tidy and predictable. A graveyard. It's squeaky clean with absolutely no life. I'll tell you another, another environment that's full of life and is extremely messy. A birthing room. And you can either have a church that is a tomb or a womb. Listen, guys, we've seen the best churches that man can build. I don't think we've seen the best churches that God can build yet. I remember I was praying one time about our church services, our worship services, thinking about new people. This was a season where it was, it was messy regularly. And, um, and I was kind of getting a little bit nervous fear of man on me thinking about what are the new people going to think coming in and you know cartwheels all, all sorts of things happening for real and so um all sorts of things happening shoes were flying i mean there's lots of just stuff that i was offended on a regular basis i'll just be honest with you <laughs> i remember the lord spoke to me um the religious spirit is always offended by people who are more free than you check yourself on that one yeah 
So I was praying one time, and uh, one of my favorite movies is Secretariat. Absolutely, it's a, it's a horse racing movie. Secretariat is a champion racehorse, and he's attempting in this movie to do, and in real life, it's based on a true life story, um, even though my wife hates those, we actually like the movie Secretariat. And so um, he was attempting to do what no horse had done in 25 years, is win the Triple Crown. So he'd won the Kentucky Derby, the Triple Crown is the three big races. He won the Kentucky Derby, won the Preakness, and he had record time in both of those. And there was another horse named Sham, who was, uh, came in second place in both of those races. Sham was known to be an endurance runner. Like the long races were his strength, and Secretariat was known to be better at the shorter races. And so uh, the final race of the Triple Crown is the Belmont. It's the longest distance of the three. So it doesn't look like Secretariat's got a chance. It's going against Sham. Sham had been close in all these races. And so um, Sham's jockey uh, was told to have this strategy, is to get out to a fast pace early, wear out Secretariat, and you'll last, outlast them and win. So there's, there's, the, um, there's the strategy. So the race begins, and it looks like the strategy is working perfectly. If you saw the movie, if you saw the race, uh, Sham got Secretariat running at a record pace. And so every time Sham would, Sham would surge forward, Secretariat would match him in speed. And Secretariat's owners are yelling, what are you doing? How can you keep that pace? The news people are saying, this is a complete disaster. Secretariat's going to, he might kill himself. He's running so fast, so he'll never keep at this pace. But Secretariat keeps running harder and harder. And then he charges ahead by one length. And then two lengths. And then three lengths. Now Sham's owner, owners are starting to get worried. The crowd is baffled. Then Secretariat's owner, Penny, yells out to Ronnie the jockey, let him run, Ronnie, let him run. You guys remember this part? 10 lengths, 15 lengths, 20 lengths. Secretariat ends up winning by 31 lengths, over 82 yards, almost the distance of a football field, ahead of the next horse to win the Triple Crown Derby. Sham came in last place. And as I was praying, I followed the Lord say, Jim, I have plenty of churches that bridle the spirit. I have very few that let them run. Let them run. Guys, we've got to be a place that lets the spirit run. We can't be the neat and tidy graveyard that gets out to the minute, except on Christmas Eve services. <laughs> but other than that, guys, we're not perfect at it. But we, are, we do have our sight set towards it with a new fervor. Chris Walton says this in The Supernatural Ways of Royalty. It's time for the body of Christ to rise up and receive our inheritance. We must rid ourselves of complacency and restore the ancient boundaries of holiness and demonstrations of great power. We can't be satisfied with illustrated sermons, great music, or friendly services. We've been called to see the powers of darkness destroyed and our ruined cities restored. Encounter God. The second thing an apostolic resource center is, is a place where you can become part of a family. When Jesus taught us to pray, our Father, he didn't say my Father who is out in heaven, our Father. He was just teaching his disciples, this is how we pray. We see that heaven's government is a family. Community is God's idea. God himself actually exists in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they exist in community. So let's just do a quick little exercise here. I want you to, um, uh, I want you to you're going to get with two or three people on this. I want you to pretend that you're fabulously rich. And I want, to answer, I want you to answer this question. Using these four categories of car, luxury, high-performance sports car, off-road vehicle, or vacation travel vehicle, choose an automobile and describe why you'd buy it. Okay, so here it is. Here's the four categories. Luxury car, high-performance sports car, off-road vehicle, vacation travel RV-type vehicle. Okay, turn it to two or three people. Which type of uh, car would you uh, buy and, and why? 
All right, take 10 more seconds. Don't move into lusting over these cars. It's just a mental exercise. All right, let's do this. How many of you picked the luxury vehicle? Yeah, these are the greedy people right here. <laughs> How many of you chose the high-performance car? Yeah, these are people in the midlife crisis. Just ask them their birthday. Just ask them their birthday. Who wanted the off-road vehicle? These are your rule breakers. These are people like, do you want A, B? They're like, we'll take C, right? How many uh, people picked the motor coach, the family travel van? Yeah, these are people that don't get out enough. <laughs> and so invite them to lunch. They're probably lonely. Okay, this will be good. All right, so what we do, just in like, like 60 seconds, or you got to see part of the fun of community. It's, it's getting to know each other at a lighter level, but community actually takes it a bit deeper. So just imagine, this is kind of a goofy scenario. Imagine if uh, you, you did that with a friend, and your friend challenged you and said, Bob, you chose a high-performance vehicle because, because you like adventure. I wonder what the Christian life would look like if we lived in a high-performance mode. Janet, you said that the off-road risk-taking type, type of vehicle, I wonder what it would look like in the eyes of God for you to take a spiritual risk. See, community is God's dream for humanity. Like I said, God exists in community. And listen, guys, transformation takes, be transformation takes place best in the soil of community. Let me say that again. Transformation takes place best in the soil of community. I haven't seen a lot of plants that seem to really thrive and grow when they're not planted in something. If you were to take out the roots and just lay it there, I see a lot of Christians who get offended. They don't like the way something is going. And uh, they uproot themselves, and they just begin to declare how awesome it is to not be part of a church. You are the church. Paul's like, hey, that's like saying the eyeball, hey, I don't want to be part of this body. How good is that eyeball going to do apart from the body? A biblically functioning community is a place where nobody stands alone, where you can know and be known, serve and be served, love and be loved, celebrate and be celebrated. It's about being a family on a mission. At Zion, there's some easy ways to connect into community is uh, serve somewhere, become part of a group, right? It's like enlisting a little platoon, a little platoon. If you're longing community and you're having a hard time finding it, you're right to pursue it, okay? But sometimes we need, need to take the focus of getting our needs met and put, need, uh, put focus into meeting the needs of other people. More than that to come. Community doesn't have to be complicated, but it also doesn't happen overnight, there's a lot of people who, uh, listen, not trying to make anybody feel bad, who show up 30 minutes late, leave the second it leaves, and say, why don't I have any friends here? It's not complicated. <laughs> the third dimension. <laughs> An apostolic resource center is a place where you can encounter God, become part, of, become part of a family, and get equipped to transform your sphere of influence. Bobby Connor is a prophet. He said this about our, our church. You're putting swords and spears in the hands of champions. As long as you do that, you'll have everything you need. Steve Backlund uh, said this over our church. Zion is a hero incubator. Yeah. I like that. Um, I'm, I don't want to give glory to this, but there was a, um, an organization that did a real nasty YouTube video on our church. And uh, they were leading our five key areas. And they said, oh, what is this church trying to do? Raise up a bunch of superheroes? Yes! <laughs> yes! The Pharisees got it. This is beautiful. 
Have you seen the things Jesus did? He's walking through walls, walking on water, healing the sick, restoring miracles, speaking words and cursing fig trees, multiplying. Those are superhero things. And so when it comes to equipping at Zion, there's five key areas. Hopefully you've heard these before if you've been here more than an hour. And so what I want you to notice, though, is how each of these five key areas has an apostolic effect on the city. It's not just all about us. Each one of these things has an outward component. So the first one is best friends with Jesus. And so the shiny paint on a car is, is pro- for our church is probably the things that people like hear about are probably the miracles. We've had over a dozen dead raisings. We've had body parts grow back, dozens and dozens of cancers. People get out of wheelchairs, a whole bunch of gay God things. This is in Columbus, not just in Africa, but we have Africa miracles too. We love those. Okay? The engine under the hood that uh, a lot of people don't see is the thing that drives this whole thing is intimacy with Jesus. Is we're just crazy about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about our church getting testimonies. It is about Jesus. Like I said, every believer who has shaped history had one thing in common, a lifestyle, a lifestyle of encounters with the living God. I want you to listen to how this has an outward effect, just your relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 2.15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. The Bible says that believers become the aroma of Christ. I'm not sure if you've ever been, ever been in the mall and you walk by uh, Cinnabon, also known as Sin on a Bun. <laughs> right? It's like you're walking through there, you're like thinking about getting some shoes or whatever, you're at the mall, and all of a sudden you smell Cinnabon. What does it do? It completely arrests your senses. It's almost like a tractor beam. It's like, oh my goodness. And it's like suddenly you find yourself desiring a Cinnabon, even though you hadn't been thinking about Cinnabons before that. The Bible says this is what the believer's life is like is that you actually give off the aroma of Christ, and people are going about their day, they're just living for themselves, trying to go work, get paid, have some fun on the weekends, whatever it might be, and all of a sudden, they begin to smell the aroma of Christ in your life, and they begin to think, you know what? There's something more to it than this. And they begin to desire the very thing that you're carrying. Our lives pour salt on the tongues of unbelievers for living water. Your life can actually arouse the sweet tooth for people for the things of God. Second area that we want to uh, so equip people and best friends with Jesus, another thing is naturally supernatural. You're like, what are you talking about? We're talking about healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the leper, casting out demons, raising the dead, prophetic, hearing God's voice, reading the Bible supernaturally. We had a girl from our church that went to Walmart and got three people out of wheelchairs in one night. Two of the people left their wheelchairs in Walmart and walked out. The other one pushed theirs out to the car. We had, um, like I said, we've had over a dozen dead raisings. It might be a fun, it might be a fun service to just tell all those stories at one time. I, I have them in bullet points. And if I do, the Facebook Pharisees, we already have people calling, oh, I want to interview them. Oh, if it's, how come it's not in the news? Um, because we care more about the person than the news, okay, uh, for number one. And we're not here to do church to appease the Pharisees. There we go. I just hope some of them are watching just to kind of stick it to them a little bit. <laughs> you brood of vipers! <clears throat> You whitewashed tombs. Your corpses in tuxedos. There we go. That's what Jesus said. So I'm just quoting scripture. There we go. Here's the thing that in John 14, 12, Jesus says, anyone who believes in me will do the works I'm doing. And because I'm going to my Father and I'm sending the Holy Spirit, you can even do greater things. What are greater things? Not totally sure. <laughs> How about we stick with the things he did? Okay, and uh, I kind of have a, a thing on my life. I would like every person who calls Zion their home to, before they die, to have the fab five in their life. These are just the five miracles that we saw over and over again. They were common in Jesus' life. I believe it should be common in ours. Heal the blind, the deaf, the mute, the lame, and the dead raising. 
Doesn't that sound like a good idea? Blind, deaf, mute, lame, dead raising. All right? And so the miracles aren't just for, for the person. God heals because there's compassion. He loves people. That's why he does it. But there's a side effect that it has on, on a city. So Jesus, in uh, Matthew 11, he, uh, he's, he's leaving Jerusalem. They've rejected him. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, have long to uh, gather you as a mother hand gathers her chicks. He said, if the miracles I just performed in you would have been performed in Tyre and Sidon, those were two Old Testament wicked cities, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. I want you to see this. Jesus gives us a key to city transformation, is that miracles can turn the hearts of a wicked city on a dime. Yes. I had a vision a while back where three events took place in a two-week period, and it completely turned the city upside down. The first one was a mayor's child was kidnapped, and some of our people prophetically located the child. The second event that happened was a judge's son was healed, was healed of stage four cancer. The third one was a Muslim imam. That's their version of pastor. A Muslim imam's firstborn son was raised from the dead. All happened in a two-week period. And the effect it had was Acts 19 where it said, and the name of Jesus was held in high esteem. <laughs> Guys, I believe we're headed for a day where people walk in divine health and don't get sick. Isaiah 33, 24 says, no one living in Zion will say, I am sick. How did they know way back then we were going to name our church Zion? I don't know how they knew that, but that's just amazing. <laughs> what would it look like to take those levels of breakthrough when healing the sick, raising the dead, into the spheres of our society? So with those breakthroughs that we're seeing with broken bones and, 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 to, and tumors being dissolved and, and all these great things happening, that level of breakthrough, what would it look like to take that into our government? What would it look like to take that into your workplace, into families, into the areas of medicine and technology? Those same levels of breakthrough, wisdom, insight are available for every sphere of society. There's not a problem on earth that heaven doesn't have a response and a genius solution to. Yes. Best friends of Jesus, naturally supernatural. Also going to equip you to get debt-free and outrageously generous. This is interesting that there's actually an apostolic effect of God's people prospering. So there's a parable in Luke 19, parable of the minas. It was an amount of money that the master gave them. One guy turned uh, his from uh, five into ten. Another one turned his from two into four. So he, they doubled their money. And it's interesting. To the, one, to the guy who turned his, uh, his let's just say it was $5,000 into 10000 the one who, who did that, he says, I now give you rulership over ten cities. I now give you the ability to shape culture over cities. How can stewarding something that's in our hands, and this is how it works in God's kingdom, if you can create an ecosystem where your money makes money, where you actually prosper on the inside and in the God's way, prosper on the outside, it actually gives you the authority to shape culture over cities. Guys, what are the two doctrines that the body of Christ has been fought against the most in the past 30 years? Healing and finance. It's that health and wealth gospel. Well, there is no health and wealth gospel, but the gospel of the kingdom prospers and brings health. There is no sickness and poverty gospel. The reason the enemy has fought against is because if the enemy can keep you sick and poor, it's going to severely limit your destiny. And there's hundreds of pulpits all over this nation, thousands, tens of thousands, that will tell you it's God's will for you to be sick and God's will for you to be poor. You whitewashed tombs. You've made the word of God of no effect through your religious traditions. Jeremiah 33, 9, this is one of my favorite verses. I hope it becomes one of yours. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Boy, how does the fear of the Lord come upon a city? When God's people prosper. When God's goodness comes upon a city. My goal is for everyone who comes to Zion for five years that they would be debt-free and own their own home. 
or at least we have a plan to be making supernatural progress towards there. Listen, your destiny is always going to level off at your level of generosity and your level of stewardship. Money is the least use of your faith. Money is the kindergarten of the spiritual life. If you can't trust God for that which is least, this is Luke 16, you cannot trust him for that which is greater. Guys, like if you can't handle the earthly stuff, how are you going to handle the heavenly nuclear level stuff? If you can't steward finances, you can't steward cities. It starts here. Here's the good news, guys. If we can learn to steward finances, if we can get the mammon off of our heart and the fear off of our heart and begin to trust God for these things and steward what's on our hand and use it for increase. Listen, God doesn't mind meeting your needs in style. He just doesn't want you giving your heart over to style. Okay? His name's El Shaddai, not El Cheapo. Okay? He doesn't mind you taking a nice vacation, having a car that's reliable, maybe even fun and all those type of things. We just don't give our hearts over. He's looking for people who love not the world so he can give them the world so he can influence the world. You owe it to the world to be blessed. We read this verse a lot. Um, I don't think I gave it to the, for the slides. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That sounds like revival. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. It's actually legal to pray, God, put your hand of blessing on my life so people will see what you're like. Amen. So I want to equip people and best friends with Jesus, naturally supernatural, debt-free and outrageously generous. We also want to help people have healthy kingdom families. Okay? There's churches that the President of the United States would go to. Okay? There's also churches that the President of the United States would come out of. Okay? And so as our church gets more and more free, wild, whatever you want to call it, zoo-like, and so um, I'm not, I'm not wanting to become zoo-like. There's just going to be times where it will be. I'm just telling you, it will be. If you're offended easily, grow up. Okay? And so, um, so, there, so if it, I, I don't picture like the, the president coming here and get hit in the face with a flag, you know, or something like that. So, you know, it probably won't happen. I want this to be the kind of church that a president would actually grow up out of, though, that the kind of things are installed in them. Solomon was raised knowing that one day he would be king. Everything that was done to him was, was, had this in mind. One day he's going to rule, okay? You and I, uh, our kids are kingdom royalty, and we're called to influence this world system. We do it out of serving and love, not ruling over. That's a whole other sermon. But what if we did church with that in mind, that the way that we're raising our kids is that one day they will exert influence in their sphere, that our ceiling would be their floor. Um, they did a study of kids raised in church, and they found that 92% of kids, uh, when they hit age 18, fell away from the Lord for a period. Good news is many of them, most of them came back because uh, you train up a child, those things planted in them. But the, of the 8% who did not fall away, what was the number one factor of those 8% as they are part of a family that saw God answer prayer? Guys, we owe it to our children to see the power of God demonstrated in real ways. Not just talk about it, not just preach about it, not just have our best testimonies from 10 years ago. We owe it to see it in our everyday lives. Our kids are having throne room experiences. Uh, there's a saying that says there's no junior Holy Spirit. They are being trained to heal the sick, hear God, prophesy, worship. I don't know why we don't do this more. I remember last time we had the kids work the healing chairs. Um, they had 100% healing. I don't know if it was six or seven people sat in the chairs. Six or seven got instantly healed. Why? Because they haven't learned all the fear, doubt, and unbelief that you and I are still trying to get rid of. I want you to look at the apostolic effect of a, of a, of a godly marriage. Ephesians 5 says that marriage is a mystery, and it shows the world the way Christ loves the church. Boy, there's something prophetic that's released that when a husband loves a wife and a wife honors a husband, it releases something in the world. Oh, that's how God feels about me. And they can actually receive it because they see it lived out in front of them. I see Zion as a place where um, marriages get put back together, where gathering demoniacs get made whole. And Columbus becomes a divorce-free zone. 
We've actually had people at, at Zion, they uh, were not going to Zion, they were not going to church, they did not love God, see someone from Zion's marriage. They were having marriage problems over here. They saw Zion's marriage, began to um, come over and talk to this couple, and they ended up getting saved. This happened uh, to two people on one, one little block there. What happened? As they saw the way Christ loved the church, the way that this husband and wife were treating each other, they didn't have that language. That's what got released to them in the spirit. Family is a powerful sphere. Jewish people have only been 2 to 3% of the population, but they've uniquely shaped their people. They never assimilated into that culture, but they were simply enhanced the culture they were in. Okay, so they had this, this unit. They, they kept their identity, and they were able to influence. So 2 to 3% of the culture, and yet 30% of the millionaires in the United States are, are Jewish, even though they only make up a small percentage. What's going on? There's something on the culture of that family that causes them to prosper. America has been blessed from Bernstein to Einstein to Seinfeld. Because a family culture can sh- uh, of a minority of people can shape the majority. Family creates an environment where the kids can succeed. So we're, getting, we're equipping people to be best friends with Jesus, naturally supernatural, debt-free, outrageously generous, have healthy kingdom families, and finally discover, develop, and deploy your destiny. Jesus said this in John 17. He said, Father, I've finished the work you've given me to do. Here's the deal, gang. You're either doing the work God gave you or you're not. And so we want to help you all make sure that you are, everyone has their assignment Everyone knows what sphere that they're pointing it towards or spheres they're pointing it towards. We want to help you discover and climb that mountain. And here's the, here's the apostolic effect of that. Proverbs 22.9 says, people of excellence will stand before kings. Now, of course, um, our, our, uh, our calling is to transform people who transform. This is, how we, this is our, how we're measuring transforming people and uh, to transform cities. And uh, one of my dreams has been to have this. So a lot of times the mayor will give a speech every year. And they will list the top five priorities of the city. And so one of the years, it was human trafficking. And so uh, sometimes it's like a literacy rate. Sometimes it's affordable housing, things like that. But um, imagine if we took one of the, at the Church of Columbus, or we, as part of that, took some of those things on the mayor's heart. The mayor is functioning as the apostle. He's the culture shaper of the city. And if you remember, in the, uh, in the book of Acts, they came and they laid the money at the apostles' feet, and the apostles determined how it was going to be d- distributed. What if we took that principle of honor and we said, we see your heart for this city, things that would line up for the kingdom. I'm not talking about some ridiculous agenda that's anti-God. But what if we took that and we began to answer this city's problems? The Bible says that you overcome evil with good. What if the only thing our city needs is more goodness? Things done not for... Not to get people saved, but because we're doing it for their benefit. I mean, it'll have the, ben- it'll have the side effect of getting people saved. I had something really powerful written somewhere. I can't find it now. Here's a little secret. It's actually a religious spirit to do something to try to get somebody saved. I'm going to serve you so that you'll get saved. People can sniff your hidden agenda a mile away. People don't want to be a target for your ministry. But if you love people and serve them and leave it at that, now you've given the Holy Spirit something to work with. Yes, that's so good. And so we have a heart for the POWs, the poor, the orphan, the widows, the single parents, and the sex trafficking victims. And so we've got uh, Freeman House. was a house that was donated to us. We put some money into it, and it houses five women right now right off the, right off the streets. We've got our Normandy Project. Yay, God. Uh, we, we finished it. It's our, it's our human trafficking project downtown for women who have... Uh, graduated from programming, they're clean and sober, but they still have PTSD. They still have a whole bunch of needs. They still don't have a circle of influence. They don't have the life skills. And so we've stepped in. We've got two women living in the house, and we're interviewing other women. So yay, God. Um, uh, our Fresh Start house, Derek and Tish are continuing to build to help 
uh, help boys who have been uh, in, the, in, the, in the foster care system. It's a completely different model to uh, treat, it, treat it more like a family. <clears throat> I see Zion uh, being a place full of businesses that prosper, where we actually create environments where people are discipled before they ever become saved because the environment is kingdom. I can see us, uh, those businesses giving jobs to those coming out of human trafficking. Uh, I see us owning an apartment complex for single moms, battered women, and trafficking, trafficking victims. I see Down syndrome getting healed, where their faces completely changed, completely restored. Cancer, uh, cancer's become the Goliath that intimidates the armies of God, and I see cancer bowing its knee to the name of Jesus. One thing I saw, I had a vision of this. My eyes were open. I saw it like a, I saw it like a movie. I don't have many of those, and in this vision. Um, uh, there was this army of light. So I was standing in front. There was this army of light behind me. It was people. And we walked up to the uh, front of, a, of the hospital. And the administrator of the hospital says, I know why you're here. And I said, take us to the sick. There was a team that went to the burn unit, a team went to the cancer unit, a team that went to the amputee war. And we emptied out every bed of every hospital in one day. I don't believe it was a metaphor. This is what we're building, guys. An apostolic resource center where people can encounter God become part of a family, and get equipped to transform their sphere of influence. Second question, this one's going to be answered a lot quicker. How can I come into my destiny if I help you build this? Well, become someone who encounters God, is part of a family, and gets equipped. Guys, you're not going to walk in your destiny if you're not best friends with Jesus, naturally supernatural, debt-free and outrageously generous, part of a kingdom, healthy kingdom family, and have discovered and developed to pull your destiny. Guys, in case you haven't noticed, our mission is you. Okay? Our mission is to make you great. There's a lot of churches like, this is my vision, and you come serve my vision. Run from that. We're, we're not trying to have you serve someone else's vision and become a slave. We're trying to empower you to become all that God's created you to be. So you can you know, use, church can be like a hammer and a chisel. Is you can use people to carve out, uh, you can use people to carve out a great church, or you can use church to carve out a great people. We're trying to use what we do here to make you amazing. Our vision is people. But Zion will not become who we're called to be without people serving and sacrificing. The one thing that will kill this vision quicker than anything is consumer Christianity. This is where the church becomes a vendor of religious goods and services. You're here for what you can get. It becomes like the Goldilocks church. This, one's a, this bed's a little too soft. This one's, a, this one's a little too hard. Worship's a little too loud. The sermons are a little too long. And you become a wine connoisseur, tasting the vintage of every sermon. Ah, that part didn't really hit me. I, I like it better the way this was said over here. Wow. People are losing their heads for, people are being beheaded for their faith. And you're complaining because services are too long. I'm having a hard time connecting. Well, where are you serving? Nowhere. Um, how many people have you been invited over to your house or out to eat? None. Um, how quickly are you out to your car after service ends? Within seconds. I'm not trying to be mean, guy, and I'm trying to say we're going to have to put on our big boy and big girl pants and stop making it all about me. Guys, it, it might take some effort to get into community, okay? Like, we don't have a church where we've got all these groups set up for you, so you just have to walk in, and you've got lifelong friends, okay? You might have to do some, some work here. It's going to be worth it. The church that Jesus is building that the gates of hell will not prevail against will not happen by consumers, how we doing? So if you call Zion your home, you've been here for two, three, four months, I encourage you to serve somewhere. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just inviting you. It's a battleship, not a cruise ship. Okay? Family makes a contribution. 
Well, Jim, it's not my calling to help with kids. It's not my calling to greet. No one said it's your calling. It's called serving. You know, we just had a family gathering. We had all, all the kids over, and we uh, made food and everything. And you know what? Uh, I dried the dishes. I wasn't like, uh, I'm called to be a pastor. Uh, this is not part of my calling here. Can we get some? No, no, guys. Family, you serve. It doesn't have to be part of your calling. We're not saying that you serving somewhere is part of your calling, but part of your calling is to serve. Okay, you don't have to have a spiritual gift to work in the nursery. You have to have some patience and some love and some kind of There's some other things there. Something that uh, I fear is that Christians have taken in much more than they've given out. You know what that's called? Constipation. <laughs> Constipated people aren't a lot of fun to, are not a lot of fun to be around. We don't want spiritually constipated Christians going out to represent Jesus. How are we doing? So here's what I want. Um, one, of the, one of the things that we're going to have, we're going to hear about it in the next couple of weeks, not so much this week, is, is in, those, in those five key areas, the best friends, Jesus, nationally, supernatural. We'll usually take one or two of those kind of, uh, you know, once or twice a year and kind of highlight them. And so for this next time, we're highlighting um, best friends, which are highlighting healthy kingdom families and debt-free and outrageously general, generous. And so there's other groups you can do. You don't have to pick those. But we're going to have groups that are going to focus on this. So I don't want you to get too into this, but just I was praying this week, and I heard presence, promise, and process. I feel like our church is focused on presence and promise, the word and the spirit. But process hasn't been really as highlighted. I don't know that it's been highlighted Christianity-wise. We're going to work really hard in 2024 to make sure that what you're hearing, you've got a process to digest it and exercise it into strength. Otherwise, it just stays a theory. Don't want you to get too much into that. But our five key groups are going to be one of those areas where you can have that process, where you can take the truth, digest it, and actually live it out and not just go, that was a good book, next. Okay? And so um, to, to help, help you come into your destiny, to help us come into our destiny, I'm going to ask you to grow. Okay? I'm going to ask you to grow. Another thing, give regularly. Do you know how much ministry you can do for $100? Write about $100 worth. Okay, and so you can be as theological as you want, but the church will never reach her full redemptive potential until a river of financial resources starts flowing in her direction. The only way you exercise faith for finances is by giving. Amen. It's not by blowing a shofar over your checkbook or marching around your debt statement seven times waiting for the walls of debt to fall down. It's exercise, it's giving with the right heart. And so, um, and uh, if we, in last place, I'm just asking you to serve. I already hit that a little bit. But um, I, I just ask you, we, we got some cards of some different, uh, some different ways to serve. And you're not committing. You're not a blood covenant. You're not like, hey, this, is, this is 12 months of my life. And we're just, uh, those are just some different areas. I, we're just highlighting a couple. <clears throat> Our media booth, I don't know if you guys know this, way more people experience Zion Online, thousands every week, than do inside the building. Okay? And so we need some people to help it uh, continue that level of excellence. Our nursery, our, our, our whole children's ministry, you don't have to teach kids to do it. There's other ways that you can volunteer. But if you've got kids, you're already in kids' ministry every single day of your life. But, uh, man, boy, once, or, once, or, once a month or once every other month would sure help our, uh, our kids have a, a better experience. There's certain ratios that we need to have of teachers to kids, and so that would really help. And our, our, our welcome teams, it's a super easy way to shake a hand. And you're not just shaking a hand, you're actually creating an environment. And when you realize what you're carrying, you can actually release Jesus to the people. But that's a whole other conversation. So serve somewhere, grow, give regularly. And so that'll, uh, that, that'll, that'll move things forward. And as we, uh, as we close, I'm going to ask you guys to use your imagination for a second. So we shouldn't have passed out the cards because now no one's going to listen to my conclusion here. So if we could hit the pause in the cards for one second, I'm going to help you use your imagination. 
I want you to imagine a place where people pull on the property and they experience the presence of God in such a tangible way that sickness leaves their body. When people pray for the sick, they get healed. Where people walk in divine health and never get sick. Isaiah 33, 24, no one living in Zion will say, I am sick. Where people are debt-free, including their house, and are outrageously generous. Where marriages flourish and spouses serve each other to help them become all that God's created them to be. No more children feeling unwanted or unloved. Orphans are quickly adopted and all the children are raised in a culture of blessing where who they are in Christ is reinforced day after day. Where everybody loves God, loves each other, and dreams big with God. Where a city is being shocked at the exploits done in the name of Jesus. It's spreading like wildfire. Businesses begin to operate in a culture of honor. Co-workers work together as teams. There's now a section in the newspaper for dead raisings right next to the obituaries. Crime is all but gone. The local news spends most of the hour reporting good news and testimonies. Hospitals are emptied and turned into shelters and schools and churches. People will turn on Jerry Springer to watch shows with titles like, My Spouse Secretly Loves Me Twice As Much As I Thought He Did. (laughs) Impossible marriage situations are restored, where the gathering demoniacs of today become leaders and churches of the city. Atheists are turned into missionaries. It sounds like heaven invading earth. It sounds like the church that Jesus built in which the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Government, academia, and business are important, but they can't transform a human heart. We are in the midst of the greatest revival in human history. Yet there remains a distance between what should be and what will be. That distance is you. What will you become? You are the bridge between history and his story. You are the sons and daughters of the prophets. The sick The demonized, the poor, the blind, the lame, and the lost are all waiting to see what you have learned. Let's not disappoint them. Let's stand for closing prayer. After I pray, if you guys want to just take a moment and uh, look at those cards, and you can, uh, I guess, we pass them down to them somewhere? Just bring bring them up front. Just bring them up front. Just lay them there. What, babe? Oh, yeah. yeah. Babe, Mary is going to give some direction. Thank you, babe. Okay, so um, this card contains three of the biggest needs uh, that we have right now for volunteer or lack of. So we have lots of places for you to volunteer, but these are kind of the top three that are in major need right now, especially children's. We are not beggars, but. (laughs) We will ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Yeah, so. So on each, there's three ministries. On each one, there's a QR code. So you can also scan your uh, QR code with your phone camera and just fill it out online if you want. Or you can fill this out. I'm just going to ask every single person to look at this if you are not serving anywhere right now. Um, And then we're going to have a basket in the lobby for you to drop these in on your way out. Tori is going to be out there collecting them. And also the ministry heads of these three ministries are going to be out at a table. So if you have questions about the ministry, you can go out there and ask them on your way out. Okay? Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. My closing prayer is going to be Psalm 67, 1 and 2 over you. So God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Lord, we just thank you for this group of people, that you're making them the most dangerous group of people in Columbus, Ohio. 
And that, Lord, we're just one voice in the choir, and your choir is raising up to represent you accurately. Lord, we just thank you. Let these words sink deep in our heart. Lord, I just pray that people will respond to whatever the Holy Spirit's saying to them, that they'll be encouraged that there is hope for America and hope for our city. In the name of Jesus, amen.